Morning. How's everybody doing? Interesting. Well, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today. If you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. And we are continuing this series, We Are. <laughs> we are, we are. And we're focusing today, as we have been for the last few weeks, on what it means to be people who are finding home. When you came in, you might have noticed written on the wall was what we are about as a community, which is we are a community pursuing the healing and wholeness of Jesus by finding home finding family, and finding purpose in him. So in this series, this first section of the series, we're asking the question, what does it mean to be people who are finding home in Jesus? So today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 19. Uh, But before we do, I I want to confess something to you. um, And that is that I'm kind of nervous to preach this sermon. Um, If that's okay for me to admit. Um, we're talking about how if, if we are finding home in Jesus, then that means we are people who are committed gatherers. We are people who value gathering together. And I know that when we talk about that, that that is an idea that is really just contrary to our culture. We're in a culture that doesn't really value being anywhere consistently. Um, we don't often show up. I understand that this concept is, is going to directly interact with, with many of us and be challenging. And it's going to challenge even in myself, uh, my own tendencies. And I know that when we talk about something like this, I feel all of the tension that's in the room and all of the questions. And my nervousness is that someone would feel called out or isolated or something like that. So I just want to confess that to you, that I feel that nervousness. So whatever you feel during this sermon, if I can feel nervous, then whatever you're feeling is welcome here as well. But also, we're teaching about this topic because we deeply believe that it is biblical and for us to be faithful to Scripture and who God's called us to be, then this is what we need to talk about today. Does that sound good? Does that sound okay at least? All right. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, as we do every week and every time we gather. We ask that you would speak. We want to hear from you. Jesus, anything that's from me, anything that would be shaped by my own nerves or apprehensions or expectations, let that be noticed so it can just be rejected. 
But if anything is said this morning that's faithful to your word, then let it echo in our hearts that we might be formed into your likeness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so to start off this morning, I need to ask a question, and then I've got to create some division. Um, And this is predictable division, just so you know. It's like very common. It's not going to be new to anybody. But first off, um, just raise your hand if you have heard before of this term, confirmation bias. Yeah? Okay. Most of us are familiar with the term confirmation bias. Okay, now here is where we're going to divide the room. If you've been here for a while, then you're like, CJ, this again. But I'm going to make a different point with it this time, so just roll with me, okay? Uh, Where are the dog people at? Yes, the majority of us. (laughs) Where are the cat people at? The few, the proud, the cat people. Okay, awesome. We got a couple of you, so this will work. Um, So here's what I want to do. I'm going to describe, and my wife has told me that I need to be nicer to cat people, um, so I'm going to do my best. Um, And here's the thing, like, I'm a dog person, but my son's a cat person, so I made one, so I've got some stuff I've got to deal with, right, in terms of cats. Um, But... uh, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to describe kind of like why I think dog people like dogs. And then if that sounds right, just kind of nod along, uh-huh, like confirm. Does that sound good? Can you do that? All right. Awesome. Um, so for those of us who are dog people, we like dogs because, I mean, dogs are, are loyal, right? They're present. They are there all the time. They do not poop in the house. They poop outside, right? Um, they, yeah, amen. They... They alert us when strangers, when there's danger around, right? They are wonderful. You are the hero of a dog's world. You're the only thing a dog thinks about besides food, right? Dogs have jobs, right? They're retrievers or they're guard dogs or they're herding dogs, right? They were bred to do something. That's why we like dogs. Does that sound right? Okay. Now, here's the thing. If you're a cat person then you probably think things like, yeah, but does your dog do that job? Because I don't see your dog hurting anything, right? And you probably think, okay, it would be awesome to have a pet that could let you know when there's danger, but I don't need a pet that barks every time a car slows down in front of my house, right? And I I don't need a dog. It's great that it's around, but it's under your feet all the time. I don't want a pet that I'm stepping on. And I don't want to have to carry bags around every time I take this thing on a walk that I have to take it on all the time, right? Does that sound right? Does that sound like an accurate critique of dogs to cat people for both of you (laughs) that are here? Um, All right. And you cat people, you probably, I would guess, I'm doing my best here, to think something like, well, cats, they don't require a lot of attention, right? They take care of themselves. You don't have to pick anything up after them. They use the restroom in a box, and it's all you have to deal with. They are there when you want them, but they're not under your feet all the time, right? Does that sound accurate? Does that sound good? Cat people, was that close-ish? All right, you can let me know what I got wrong later. Here's the thing. If you're a dog person, then you probably think, why in the world would I want a pet that doesn't care that I exist, right? Why would I want a pet that doesn't need me? Why would I want a box of feces in the closet in my house, right? Uh, Here's the point. Dog people and cat people are interpreting the same information. Dog people don't have some secret knowledge that cat people don't have about dogs, Cat people don't have some secret knowledge about dogs that, or cats that dog people don't have. We're interpreting the same information, 
but we're interpreting that same information differently. Does that make sense? This is what confirmation bias is. Confirmation bias is this tendency that we all have to interpret the information around us in a way that affirms what we have already believed rather than challenges what we already believe. Which is why so many of us can look at the same information and come to very different conclusions. Confirmation bias means that we are wired naturally to interpret things in such a way that confirms rather than challenges. It also means that we are much more likely to seek out information that confirms what we already believe than we are to seek out information that challenges what we already believe. If you have an opinion or an idea, you are much more likely, science, psychology tells us, to look for articles and news stations and books and information and YouTube videos from people you are more likely to agree with And we are much less likely to hear a balanced and fair, to seek out a balanced and fair representation of the other side. We naturally seek things that confirm what we already believe. Now there's something else going on here that's important, that's worth talking about, and it's called expressive individualism. Now, this is um, an idea that a lot of people have written about um, at the academic level. You've got authors and scholars like Carl Truman at the popular level. If you want to watch a TED Talk, Seth Godin has a TED Talk called The New Tribalism. And here's basically the idea that's being proposed, is that for most of human history, identity for a human was bound up in community. What that means is, for the sake of your survival, you had to have people that you fit in with. Because you lived in a tribe, or you lived in a town, or even if you lived in a city, you had a close network of people, and you had to interact with those people for your own security. Does that make sense? And what that meant was that our communities became a boundary around our identity, sometimes for positive reasons, sometimes, for neg- sometimes in negative ways, but it created a boundary around our identity, which means there would be certain ideas or desires or things that I might have, but that would not be welcome within the community, and the community would create a boundary around that. Does that make sense? And because I need the community survi- for survival, I was corrected or controlled within that community. Make sense? I know we're kind of going off the deep end here, but this is very important. Now, as time has progressed, we have reached a place as a culture where identity is no longer primarily found in alignment or connection with my community, but identity, the weight of identity is placed on finding alignment within myself. So rather than finding identity by coming into alignment with a community that's around me, by bringing my inner world in alignment with my outer world, we live in a time where we seek identity by trying to find an outer world that aligns with our inner world. Does that make sense? 
So what that means is now I live in a time where any, whatever desire or belief or ideas I have, I have access to a global base of information and connections. So I can find an Instagram profile or a YouTube account or a Reddit chain that agrees with me And I can find the connection that I once had in community in such a way that naturally aligns with the things that I'm thinking or desiring. Does that make sense? I can find an outer world that aligns with my inner world. So we live in a time in which our identity is first, the the goal of finding identity is finding complete inner fulfillment. And we naturally seek things that will confirm our inner desires. So we have an inner world and we have a desire for confirmation. We are not wired to wrestle with or seek the other side. We are wired to seek confirmation. Does that make sense? So in other words, we live in a time where uniquely we face a constant pull on our lives to not be present in places that will challenge our conceptions. To pull away from places that will create discomfort or challenge our biases. Now, the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of humans. These humans didn't exist in a world where there's expressive individualism, but they were human beings. And the author of Hebrews spends most of the first portion of the book and really all of the the verses of chapter 10 that go before talking extensively about the work of Christ for us. And he talks about how Christ is our high priest. And before we needed a priest and we needed this religious system to have access to God. But at the beginning of chapter 10, the author tells us that the law was a shadow of what was to come in Christ. So that now in Christ, we have full access to the father. We no longer need a go between. We have a great high priest who not only goes to the father for us, but also understands and empathizes with us. And then in these verses that we read, the author says, therefore, because of this access, because of this work that Christ has done for you, here is how this plays out in your life. And it seems like the author of Hebrews understands that human beings have this natural desire to pull away from places of challenge. That we, that we, left to ourselves, will hear the work of Christ and our natural position is going to be to say, because of what Christ has done for me, I'm good. And I don't need to be in a community that will challenge me because Christ has forgiven me. Does that make sense? I am right with God, so my presence in the community is not as significant as it used to be. The author of Hebrews understands that that knowing our relationship with God and our forgiveness can 
lead us to distance from the community because we seek confirmation bias. And in the community, there is conflict. Make sense? The author that I mentioned earlier, the scholar Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, said this. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, and this is a big, dense quote, but I want, us to re- I want to read it to you. He said, we need to understand that our sense of selfhood, of who we are, is both intuitive and deeply intertwined with the expectations, ethical and otherwise, of the society in which we are placed. The desire to be recognized, to be accepted, to belong is a deep and perennial human need and no individual sets the terms of that recognition or belonging all by himself. To be a self is to be in dialogic relationship with other selves and thus the wider social context. In other words... Human identity is formed in community. Part of how we are created and how we are wired is to be community beings. There is an innate longing that is in all of us to be accepted and recognized within community. What I'm saying is identity cannot only be found inside It is always also found in our connections and our community or lack thereof will always be formative to our lives and formative to our identity because as human beings, we are created to find identity through connection. Make sense? So here's what I want to tell you this morning. And this is simple and it's not revolutionary. Our salvation is worked out between me and the Lord. It is personal. My salvation is personal because it is about me accepting, putting my faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. But my following in the way of Jesus is communal. My salvation might be personal, but if I seek to live in the way of Jesus, it is and always will be a community commitment that plays itself out in committed relationships. The author John Mark Comer said this on a podcast recently um, he did with Preston Sprinkle. He said this, intimacy, in other words, the thing that we are all looking for in our relationships, the thing that we would call authenticity and trust and being known and being recognized, intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. We understand that in a marriage, that truly being intimate with someone only resides, it can only happen when you trust that the other person is committed, but deep relationships, formative, identity-forming relationships only exist in the safety of commitment. Following Jesus is a group activity that requires committed relationships. My forgiveness is through my trust in the work of Christ on the cross, but my formation comes through a committed relationship in life in a community. You'll notice that everything that the author of Hebrews says about how the work of Christ plays out in our lives, he says in the plural. We draw near. We cling to hope. We spur one another. Now, 
here's what would be easy to do for the rest of this sermon. Um, And like I said, I know that this topic contrasts with our culture and challenges, it probably challenges many of us in a pretty significant way, um, as it does me. So once again, I feel the discomfort, so if you feel it, it's okay, and it's welcome here. Here's what would be easy to do for the rest of this sermon, to turn this into kind of a typical millennial bashing sermon, where we just talk about how this generation can't show up for anything, and all they do is eat avocado toast and work from home, right? And, and that's not what we're going to do, Okay. Because here's the thing. It's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. But here's the other thing. If I can speak to my generation and the generation that comes after for a minute. We get unjustly labeled as noncommittal a lot. But we're kind of noncommittal. Can I say that? We get stereotyped a lot. But we live up to the stereotype sometimes too. Now, now, it's not always just having a non-committal posture. There's a lot of, there's economic reasons for that. We naturally, because of the eco- economy and job market, bounce around a lot more. We live in a world that is just, by definition, more transient than it ever has been before. So there are reasons for it, but that doesn't change the fact that oftentimes, as a generation, showing up is not what we're best at, especially if the showing up doesn't have some sort of tangible payoff. So when we're talking about the things that might keep us from gathering, like the book of Hebrews talks about, there are really two perspectives. There, there are some of us, and, and we're just going to deal with the thing, if that's all right. We're just going to kind of talk about it and not skate around it. Some of us, the temptation is to avoid or not prioritize or not live in commitments because we don't want to be disrupted. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, I like to stay up on Saturday nights. If something fun happens on Saturday nights, this is the lifestyle that I like to live. Um, and I'm not going to ruin Sunday by not sleeping in. So I'm not going to be disrupted in my life. Here is the life that I want to live. And I'm going to find a, con- a way to confirm that. Because I'll say, hey, listen, Jesus still loves me, which is true, right? Uh, my salvation is not affected by sleeping in this morning. That's absolutely true. That's completely true, right? Um, And we will find a way to confirm the assumption that we hold. Are you tracking with me? Rather than be in a place that would challenge the lifestyle that we've chosen to live. For some of us, it's it's that. Sometimes sometimes it's we might hold beliefs or, or desires that we understand are going to be challenged in the community. And we know that if we were to show up consistently in that place, that those are going to be challenged and there's going to be some sort of, maybe not conflict, I'm not saying that church is going to turn into debates and arguments, but we would understand that those beliefs would be challenged and that would be uncomfortable. So we will find a different community or a different place or a sermon online or something like that that won't challenge those beliefs that I know would be challenged in that community. I don't want to be disrupted. Make sense? Or maybe it's maybe it be because there's a complicated relationship in the church and there are people that I don't love spending time with that are there. So I will avoid the conflict 
Once again, there is a lifestyle I'm choosing. There is something going on inside, and I am finding a way to justify, to confirm, making my outside reflect my inside. Are we tracking? You seeing the consistency here? Right? There, there are a lot of reasons why this happens. But for not, not all of us, it's because we don't want to be disrupted. That would be painting with too broad of a brush. Because there are many of us that it's much more likely that we don't want to be disruptive. That we're going through a really difficult season in life. And we get into a place where we feel like if we were to show up, that we would be putting our burdens on other people. And and we don't want to make other people deal with the stuff that we're dealing with. So we just don't go. It seems too hard. It's hard to confess. The pro- it's hard to ask for help. Sharing one another's burdens is hard because you have to admit that you have burdens to share. So we just stay, stay home. It's not from maybe what we would call a selfish motivation. It might be from a motivation of fear or shame or guilt or something like that. But we say, I don't want to complicate this thing with my presence, so I'll just stay home. And we find an excuse to confirm what we're feeling on the inside. Make sense? Or maybe it's because you're dealing with a shame or with a sin or something like that and you're convinced that you're not welcome in the, that you don't deserve to be in the community because of this thing that you're struggling with and that keeps you distant from the community. You say, I'll show up when I get this figured out. I'll show up when I get this under control. Then I'll deserve, then I'll be one of them. And I'll be able to be there. And there's an inner reality so that we find an excuse to not have that inner reality challenged. Because sometimes in our shame, it's more comfortable to just live under the shame than it is to confront the shame and seek freedom from it. So we allow that shame to keep us away. Sometimes maybe we're in a place of just a very dark season of life and it just does not feel like we have the energy to fake a smile and we're not going to be the one bringing the vibe down. So we don't come because we don't want to be disruptive. But I want you to notice what the author of Hebrews says. He tells us how the work of Jesus plays out in our lives. And the first thing that he says is that we draw near to God with a sincere heart. Now, it's very important that the author says we draw near. Because if I can be honest with you, there have been seasons in my life where I do not feel near to God and I do not feel able to draw near to God with sincerity for whatever reason. But he doesn't say you draw near, even though I can. He says we draw near. Because when I am in a place of feeling distant and struggling with doubt and feeling pulled away from the community, sometimes when I show up, the community draws near and I stand with the community and we draw near together. I gather in a room of people saying, I do not feel near to God, but I believe that these people are and I'm one of them, so we are drawing near. And the community draws me near, even though I feel distant. And he says, we cling to the hope that we have in Christ. That word cling is interesting because hope is often something that you don't just have, that you've got to hold on to. You have to cling to with commitment. 
And there are often days as followers of Jesus where when we come to church, we do not have a whole lot of hope. Have you ever been in church and the song that we were singing didn't feel true to you? Because I have. Have you ever had a day where you were singing a song of victory, but you were in a season of defeat and you just didn't want to say the words? And maybe you needed to hear the people singing around you so that they can cling to hope while they cling to you so that by extension, you're clinging to hope. So that we stay in the community. We cling to hope together. So that even when we don't want to be disruptive, when we come into the community, we realize that our doubt and our struggle and our sin and our shame is not disruptive because of what Christ did on the cross. We are welcome in the community and we draw near together. But then he also says, we spur one another on to good deeds. That word spur is used, I believe, one other time in the New Testament, and it's used to describe an argument. It can also be translated irritate. We irritate one another to good deeds, which actually means sometimes when we don't want to be challenged and we don't really want to change and we would rather not show up, we need to show up so that someone can irritate us towards the work of Jesus. We need someone who will challenge the beliefs that we hold so that we can vet the truth of those beliefs. Do you see what I mean? It's actually not good for human flourishing to spend all of our time on the internet hearing videos about things we already thought were true. It's much better for us to be in deep relationships with people who disagree with us about things so that our beliefs can be challenged and we can spur one another on in our pursuit of Christ. Because community is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be formative. Bearing one another's burdens is not easy because you're bearing burdens, but it requires commitment. It requires commitment. There's another quote that I'm going to put up on the screen. I actually meant to say it earlier, but it's so good that I don't want to just skip it. It's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. I've used this quote before. I will use it hundreds more times because it might be my favorite quote. He was talking about when we are struggling and dealing with doubt and dealing with fear and shame in our lives and why we desperately need community and committed community. He said this, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's word is sure. Because sometimes it's hard for you to believe the things you're telling yourself and you need someone else to look you in the eyes and tell it to you. Sometimes your belief in the transformation in your own heart is hard to believe, but you need someone else to look you in the eyes and say, here's what I see in you. This is what community does. So here's how I want to end today by making just a couple of clarifying statements. First off, it is not a sin to skip church. It is not a sin to go on vacation. It is not a sin to have had a horrible week and desperately need to sleep in. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that like God is up there tracking our attendance and we get a perfect attendance word like school at the end of the year. That's not what this is. What I'm saying is that if we want what Christ offers us in his way, then it requires commitment. 
It requires priority. It requires showing up. And I want you to know if, if you're here or someone you know and you're here once a month or once a quarter, I'm so happy that you're here once a month or once a quarter. I want you here once a month or once a quarter. But I want you to know that home, family, and purpose exist in commitment and it's hard to have commitment once a month or once a quarter. That formation happens in the depth of relationship when we have people who cling to hope for us but who also agitate us who confront us, who hear our confessions, who hold us accountable and push us into depth in our relationship with Christ. And and here's the last thing. There are days when all you can muster, when reading a passage like this and saying, drawing near, I don't know about that, clinging to hope, I quit that a long time ago, spurring one another on, I don't know if I can handle that. What I want to tell you is that oftentimes the most formative thing you can do, oftentimes the most important thing you can do for your soul is to show up. You don't want to be there, but you show up. You're not feeling it today, but you show up. As a pastor, one of the things that I have been forced to learn over the years, as I have been in many, many rooms and conversations where I had no idea what to say. I was, recently, I was in a, an ICU room with someone who was, who was in the process of passing away. I didn't know what to say. I had no idea what to say. But the one thing that I've learned is that it's not important to know what to say. It's important to show up. You just show up. So that, that, that's the invitation, is that here at the fold, on Sunday mornings, in our fold groups, in everything we do, we're not expecting you to fake a smile. We're not expecting you to pretend everything's okay. We're not expecting you to agree with everything we say. But we would love it if you show up, just with authenticity in where you're at. That's what we choose to do. We show up for one another. We show up in one another's lives. We show up with presence and commitment. And often in just showing up, we are formed by being together, by the Holy Spirit operating in and through one another. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have called us into community in all of its complicated reality. God, we thank you for people who love us enough to challenge us. We thank you even for truth that confronts us at times. And once again, we pray that we are here for you and for the name of Jesus. And anything that's not consistent with you or your word that it would be rejected, but only what's faithful to your word would be remembered. Jesus, teach us to be people who show up in your presence, but teach us to be people who show up for one another and show up for ourselves because you are our high priest who has accomplished the work for us on the cross. We love you, Jesus. Amen.